that they all need outlets. Like, let's pray. God, you are good. And Father, we don't need um, lights and sounds and stuff to be able to worship you, God. And so, Lord, we just want to come to you with a humble heart this morning. Father, we invite you into this moment, into this space to speak to us. God, to reign in this house and every facet of our lives. And so, Lord, we welcome you. We welcome you here in this time, in this space, and in this moment. In Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, if you, uh, as you're being seated, go ahead and, and high-five someone around. Just so you know, like, they literally lost everything, and so... Anything production-wise, look, the screen just turned back on. Everything has to reboot, uh, including the live stream. And uh, let me grab this. Do you guys have a good spring break? Three of you. All right. How many parents are ready for school to start tomorrow? People clapping with that. Um, man, I'll tell you, it was, I know for me, it was an amazing spring break. It was uh, the weather, like hello. It was uh, snowing like two weeks ago, and here we are now, and you know, it's 87 degrees, and um, welcome to the Northeast, welcome to Albany. Hey guys, I'm going to dive into it today, and I just want to invite all of us to really just lean in, because we're kicking off a new series today. Uh, called Thy Will Be Done. Thy Will Be Done, where we're going to be walking through the Lord's Prayer over the next five weeks. Uh, and if you're new with us, uh, kind of what we do here primarily is we will uh, take a passage of Scripture or a chapter or a book in the Bible, and we will just walk line by line through that, teaching that so that we can kind of get the most out of the text uh, that is that is possible. And so we're going to be doing that. And, and this series really was put on my heart uh, uh, probably around five or six months ago, whenever God started doing some stuff in my life and working some things out in my life, which I'm going to share with you guys throughout this entire series. And uh, this one in particular, uh, I just really believe that this series is going to be used for the glory of God and for our growth in this church. Uh, our growth as individuals, but also our growth corporately um, as believers. And so, uh, that's my intro. It's very fancy. I don't have a funny story this week like I did last week. Uh, but that being said, I got a lot to cover. So y'all ready? All right, let's go. Matthew chapter 6. We're going to start in verses 5. Um, and we're going to be in two passages today. You'll see. All right. And when you pray, this is Jesus talking, and you can, yeah, okay, y'all are adjusting. And when you pray, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and in the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who, who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So I want to kind of just, before we get into any points and any subtext and stuff like that, I just want to kind of... Um, throw this out there that this is not 
a, um, a, a, a negating the importance of corporate prayer. All right, this is not negating the importance of us gathering together as a church and praying, which, which you guys that have been here, we do every first Tuesday. We get together and we pray for an hour on behalf of our city, on behalf of the next gen, on behalf of, of children and families in this church. This is not negating that at all. But what Jesus is saying right here is that when you pray, your heart has to be in the right posture. Your heart has to have the, the right approach toward it, towards it to where you're not doing it to try to become a spectacle to where other people are looking upon you. Now, I grew up in a very charismatic church. It went from very charismatic, and then it went to very fundamentalist, and right now I'm somewhere in between. I'm like a Baptocostal, and I proudly accept that. The Baptist guy up here is getting all excited, and uh, love you, Jacob. Um, <laughs> but uh, go dogs, right? But, uh, but like, I, I, have, I grew up in churches. I grew up in churches where you'd have those people and they were untying their bow ties and buying Hondas as loud as they could to where everyone would end up seeing them. Have you ever, have you ever seen people like that? But then they leave the church and they live like Hades. They don't love their wife. They don't treat their children with respect. They cut you off and they tell you that you're number one. And they're like, I'm on a mission from God to get to the grocery store. Meanwhile, I'm like, no, you're just a jerk. You're just a jerk. And, and if like, like if prayer should not change God, prayer should change us. And, and if we are approaching prayer so where people can look at us and think that we are holier than thou, we are better than them, we've got it all together, then we are approaching prayer with the wrong heart posture. And this is what Jesus is talking about right here. And this is why he says it's better for you to go into your quiet place, into your secret place, get in the closet, shut the door so that you can pray and your heart can be in the right place. So this is, again, not negating corporate prayer, but it is strongly encouraging personal prayer with us. And then continuing on, verses 7 through 9. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. God knows what you need before you ask Him. For me, that's so incredibly encouraging. And so whenever I'm asking something of God, which we're going to talk about in a few weeks, whenever I'm approaching God, I'm saying, you know, God, this is what I need. Give me my daily bread. God already knows everything that I need. And then he says like this, and we're going to just get to the first phrase today. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed or holy be your name. My hope for this entire series is that God will cultivate in your heart a hunger for him, for his presence, for his love, for his joy above all else. My, my hope is that this hunger will be from a, a motivation that is pure, a motivation of saying, God, I just want you. You are enough. Which leads me to my first point today. Prayer is the vehicle that connects us with God daily and invites him into our lives, invites him into our space, invites him into our workplace, into our relationships, into our marriages. 
And I think it's interesting that Jesus starts out modeling this prayer for the disciples, for everyone who's listening to this sermon, and he says, when you pray, pray like this, our Father, our Father, which means Jesus is recognizing that God is his heavenly Father, but he's also telling his disciples that God is also your Father. And so this is, this is a uh, thing that is for the entire body of Christ, the entire corporate church, that God is our Father. Now, many of us in here, whenever we think about God being a Father, we have um, an a interesting view of that because of our approach or because of our experience with our earthly Father. Some of you, you've had really bad relationships or a relationship with your earthly Father. Maybe it was that your father ended up physically or, or mentally abusing you. Uh, some of you, uh, your father just neglected. He was just like, I'll tell you my story. At two and a half years old, my dad left my mom, and I didn't see my dad for about eight years. I mean, I would see him every now and then, like every other Christmas, but, but I had no relationship with my father whatsoever. And, and so whenever I heard things like Father God or our Heavenly Father, all that I had to, to use as a, as a scope or a lens was the fact that my earthly father was not here. But for some of you, maybe your earthly father was there, but he worked all the time. All he did was focus on the, the money, having more money in his 401k or more money in stocks or more, more things that he could buy, and he neglected the relationship with you as a child. And then for some of us who have been so incredibly blessed, you have a great relationship with your, your earthly father. You guys hung out, you played catch, you, he went to your dance recital, um, you experienced the fullness with your earthly father. But even if you experienced the fullness with your earthly father, it still does not comprehend to who your heavenly father is. Our Father, our Father who knows every need that we have, our Father who sees every broken spot in our heart, our Father who can sit there and walk with us and guide us and lead us when we are in the middle of the valley, our Father, holy or hallowed is your name. I, I think about spring break. I'm telling you, man, it was, it was fantastic because this entire spring break, I literally spent as much as I could outside. And you guys that know me, I despise winter. I hate it. It is the bane of my existence. It is the thorn in my flesh, as the Apostle Paul talks about it. Um, and the fact that we broke out of winter and we entered into the glory of God, a.k.a. spring, all right, um, there was just a joy that came upon my life. Like, and so I was outside, I was laughing, I was cutting up, um, and by the grace of God, it was spring break. And so my kids, they wanted to hang out with mom and dad. And that was fun. It was fun. I'm telling you, we, we went and we, we played baseball, or I attempted to play baseball. I jumped on the trampoline for about three minutes. I, I cooked smash burgers on the Blackstone. Oh, it was delicious. I'm telling oh, it's like onions and meat in your mouth, and it's just amazing. And, um, and then I even pushed Allie on the swing, which it seems like every five minutes she wants me to push her 
again, and I used to love that as a parent, and now I'm like, I'm not pushing you. You are five years old almost, and you know how to do this, right? Well, but it was, a, it was a good, fun time. And something that I'm realizing as a father is that my kids can go and they can swing themselves and they can jump on the trampoline themselves and they can play ball themselves and they can kick the soccer ball around or attempt to play basketball. They can do all of those things and they can have a great time doing it. But when dad is invited into the mix, it changes the dynamic of the game. When dad is invited in, and, and so this whole spring break, it's been like, Dad, can, can, we go, can we go play basketball? Dad, can, can you play Xbox with me? Let's play Minecraft. Dad, can, can you jump on the trampoline? Dad, can you swing with me? Dad, can you play dollies with me? I'm not good at playing dollies, all right? I'm just like, I, you know, I don't know, what do you do? Like, hi, you know, and then just kind of, but, um, and so me, as an earthly father who is not perfect, got to a point towards the last couple days of the end of spring break, it was like, dad, dad, dad. And I'm like, can you just go in the other room for a minute and just play by yourself? Like, anyone? Anyone? Okay, that's fine. I will confess my sins before the church, all right? And, and so, but, but this, this is what I'm saying. We have to be like our earthly kids, for, thus, for those that have kids, or for you that was once a child, and we have to look at our earthly father with the same desperation that we had to play with our, I'm sorry, we have to look at our heavenly father with the same desperation that maybe we had to play with our earthly father. Or inviting him into that. I, I just think about my children and how much they want to be with their dad how much they want to be with their mom, how much more should we want to be with our Heavenly Father? Heavenly Father. Maybe the secret to that is that we need to become a little bit more childlike in our relationship with God. Maybe a little bit more childlike. Laugh a little bit. Dream a little bit. Have crazy, ridiculous faith in what God can and will do in our lives and invite him into our moments, invite him into our workplaces, invite him into our marriage, into our relationships, into the drive to work that you're gonna to have tomorrow morning. Invite him into those moments, which leads me to Psalm 63. And I wanna take a few moments and we're gonna go through the whole Psalm because I, believe that if we are going to go anywhere in this journey of prayer, we have to be able to understand who we're praying to, what God has done, and what he will continue to do, and we have to become a little childlike whenever it comes to prayer in our lives. And so if you got your scripture, jump with me to Psalms chapter 63, where we're going to be for the bulk of the time today. He starts out, and he says, oh God, you are my God, earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you, my flesh faints for you, as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. Now, let me just set up the context a little bit. This is uh, 
David, who has been anointed as king at this point, and, and David is still um, running from King Saul. King Saul is, knows that David is the rightful uh, person to be sitting on the throne, but he wants to stamp out and to stop any kind of influence that David has. And so David, uh, getting to a place of fear in his life, starts running for his life from King Saul. And King Saul would send out his men, and they would march around, and they would, they would try to capture him, and they would try to find him. And by the grace of God, David is never taken captive to the point where he is stripped from all of his throneship or lordship the way that Saul wanted. But in the middle of him running, he ends up running to the desert in Judea, or the Judean desert. And while he's running out there, he starts writing these these amazing and beautiful psalms or songs that are, that are talking about there being a desperation for God, a desperation for the presence of God in his life. See, the Judean desert is absolutely gorgeous. If you ever go to Israel, you'll have an opportunity to, to go there and to visit. It's where the Dead Sea is, and it's where Masada is, and it's, it's just this beautiful, beautiful desert, which it's weird saying a desert is beautiful, but it really is. Those that have been here, can I get an Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jerry. I was waiting on that. Um, and, and it's absolutely beautiful. But there's no life there. There's no life whatsoever. And during the summer, it can reach temperatures of 115, 120 degrees Fahrenheit. And there's no water. There's no fresh water. You got the Dead Sea, which is salt water. There's not a lot of life there. And in the middle of this desert, David starts to write this song. This is also the very same desert where John the Baptist went to in Matthew chapter 3, verses 3, and he says, prepare the way of the Lord as a voice of one who's calling out in the wilderness. This is also the very same desert as we talked about last week where Jesus was led to 40 days of prayer and fasting in the wilderness and then tempted by Satan looking over the kingdom. It's in this desert that we end up finding that God tends to do a lot in our lives, a lot in our hearts. And many of us today are in a wilderness season, or we are coming out of a wilderness season, and if you're not, you will enter into a wilderness season. And so I, I want to start out by saying, like point number two, the wilderness allows our hearts to be exposed. The wilderness allows our hearts to be exposed. In verse 1, he says, Oh God, you are my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you as in a dry and weary land where there is no water. I want you to think about that from the same place as a child. My soul longs for my dad. My soul longs for what my dad can provide. My soul longs for, for what he can do for me and with me. I just want to be in the presence of my dad. And as a parent, if you have children, you know exactly what I'm talking about right there. But, but he continues on in verses 2 and four, and he's two through 4, and he says, So I look upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your power and your glory, because your steadfast love is better than life. My lips will praise you. So I will bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. So this is David in the middle of a wilderness season, both, both figuratively and literally in his life. 
And in the middle of this wilderness season, he's having to, um, to wrestle it out in his relationship with the Lord. But in the middle of all of that, he's sitting there and he's saying, God, I'm longing for you. I want to be in the sanctuary. I want to lift up my hands. Earnestly, I seek you because your love is better than life. He's, he's essentially saying, I'm in the middle of this wilderness season. I'm in the middle of pain in my life. I'm in the middle of hardship. I'm in the middle of circumstances not going my way. And all I want is you because I know that you are enough. I, I think about this, and I'm just going to share a few things from, from my heart. Uh, one of the, uh, not most recent, but one of the more serious moments uh, in my relationship with the Lord was when my father passed away. He was in Atlanta, Georgia, and I was traveling back and forth. Um, I felt like sometimes two or even three times a week. He was on the lung transplant team at Emory University, and to see my dad fight for his life and his life slowly slip away. And I couldn't do anything about it. I was seriously just frozen. And all I could do was, was pray. Pray for there to be a healing. Pray for there to be a miracle. Pray for the, the lung transplant team. Pray for God. And in the middle of this wilderness season, my father about a month, six weeks before he passed away, embraced Jesus as his Savior from watching a Louis Giglio sermon, which was amazing. And I saw God do something amazing in my family. But it was a wilderness season. Christy can tell you, we, we were with a couple yesterday, and they, they asked what was the hardest year of marriage. And it's like, uh, you know, kind of the end of the first year and into the second year, which is around the time my dad got sick. And... Um, it was a wilderness season, but it was in that wilderness season that the comfort and the love and the peace of God rested upon me. The peace of a father saying, hey, buddy, I've got this. I've got this, and I'm going to walk alongside with you. I want to read a quote from John Piper. He says this, particularly about Psalm 63, verse 3. He says, Suffering in the path of Christian obedience with joy, because the steadfast love of the Lord is better than life. Psalm 63, 3 is the clearest display of the worth of God in our lives. Therefore, faith-filled suffering is essential in this world for the most intense and authentic of worship. When we are most satisfied with God and suffering, he will be most glorified in our worship. Our problem is not the style of music. Our problem is styles of life. When we embrace more affliction for the worth of Christ, there will be more fruit in the worship of Christ. It is in those painful circumstances, point number three, in those painful circumstances that are often the first step in stirring up a hunger for God in our lives. It's in the painful circumstances that a hunger for God is developed in our lives, a hunger for, for change, a hunger for something more, something that's not the status quo that ends up shifting and, and changing. And, and, and here's the thing, guys. The, the high moments in life, they're nice, right? The mountaintop moments, they're nice. 
things are going well, that's great. The stock market's performing well, praise God. You know, the kids are listening and going to bed on time. I mean, Jesus must have manifested himself in the house. I don't know. Like, um, those moments are great, but those moments don't produce change in your life. Those moments should be celebrated, and we should be joyful in those moments, but they don't produce the change that we need in our life. I shared this a few weeks ago, but if you're um, new or maybe you were out that particular Sunday, I, I want to just share just a little bit of kind of what led me to this place of just longing for God to do something in my heart and something in this church's heart was during the Christmas break, we just had, you know, we did two Christmas Eve services and, um, and it was great. And then we had Christmas morning and that's always fun in our house. And uh, the next couple days, we didn't do anything as a family, but we just hung out. And about four or five days into this week of vacationing, I started experiencing full-blown panic attacks. Like, I, I, I thought I was having a heart attack. And laying in my bed and waking up, and I'm sweating, my heart's racing, and I'm like, Christy, Christy! And, you know, she's asleep, and, um, and, and having to deal with that. And, and finally, uh, I think it was a night or two later, I was talking to Christy about it. I said, I don't know what's wrong with me. I'm more anxious now and I'm not even working than I was when I am working. And she said, Michael, you have been going at an unsustainable pace for the past six months between the building project, between Brooklyn, between Staten Island, between uh, writing sermons and, and um, just the craziness of life and all these things going on in, in our life. And you finally get to this place where you stop and now your mind is catching up to what has been happening to you physically and you're starting to process. And I'm telling you, man, it was the journey of this kickoff of like, God, something has to change in my life. And I started to process. I started to look deeper. And I started to recognize and I started to realize that I was hurting inside. I was longing for more time with my family. I was longing to be here with you guys more. I was longing for God to do something which led us to the decisions that we've ended up making over the past couple months to, to, to bring some stability, I would say, to our lives. But in the middle of all of that, God birthed a hunger in my heart saying, God, I can't fix this. God, my wife can't fix this. Even taking a day off here and there can't fix this, which you guys know I'm, I'm big on the Sabbath and practicing and having a day off. I, I can't fix this. God, only you can fix this. And allowing myself to be able to process and experience the pain that I was walking through has then started to develop inside me a longing and a hunger for God to move in my life and in my family and in this church that I've never had. But it's also brought me to this place of simplicity. Of like, I don't have to overcomplicate things. I think it was great. The power goes out this morning and you guys just kept on worshiping. And I'm sitting there, I'm just like, we're going around trying to figure it out. But at the same time, if it didn't work, we don't need this. We don't need it. It's simply, we just need Jesus and, and to get more of him. And, and so for many of us in our lives, we're walking through these painful moments. We're walking through moments that hurt like Hades, that, that stick us on the inside, that are painful to experience. And for, for some of you, it could be 
um, watching a loved one slip away, like I had to watch my father just gradually slip away over about a four to six month process or period. Or for others, it could be uh, losing something precious to you. It could be a job or a relationship that's estranged or broken because of differences that have developed or tension that's developed. For others of us, it could be walking through a major life transition right now, whether that is moving or a job placement or you're having to say goodbye to a job. And then for others of us, it could be seeing something that breaks your heart and God taking that to fuel a passion for his glory. I think about Rob Morris with Love 146. Many of us may know who Love 146 is, but Rob Morris with Love 146 he, um, he was, I believe, in the Philippines, and uh, he went undercover into a sex trafficking um, brothel with these kids. These kids that are 8, 9, 10, maybe 13 years old. Undercover. And he was handed a menu with the number attached, and with the numbers, it would give a dollar amount. Child number 143 you know, uh, X amount of dollars. Child number 144, X amount of dollars. And him as a undercover patron would walk from one stall to another stall to another stall, seeing children faceless, watching these cartoons with no life on their face. Until he came to 146. And as he says it, it is this one particular girl who still had a fight in her and looked at him dead in the eyes and God broke his heart and he came back to the states broken by human trafficking and what was taking place and out of that birth a non-for-profit that is now worldwide and renowned for their work called Love 146 and he doesn't know who that girl is and he may never meet her but that painful moment stirred something up and God was able to deposit a hunger in his heart to end human trafficking. And today, they have helped rescue over 37 women and, or, or little girls and boys from human trafficking. And on top of that, they've been able to prevent 67,000 people from being trafficked into human trafficking, which is absolutely amazing. So if you don't know who they are, love146.org, go check them out. Um, man, point... Let me, let me just read this, verses 5 through 8. He continues on, he says, My soul will be satisfied as with fat and rich food, and my mouth will praise you with joyful lips. And when I remember you upon my bed and meditate on you in the watches of my night, for you have been my help, and in the shadow of your wings I will sing for joy. Verse 8, I love, my soul clings to you, your right hand upholds me. So prayer is the vehicle that we use to connect with God. And in the wilderness season, it's where God allows our hearts to be exposed. And then the painful circumstances in our life can help to produce a hunger for God, which leads me to point number four. God will show up when people are desperate for him. God will show up when people are desperate for him. I love what John Tyson says in his research of looking at revivals all across the world, he says it doesn't matter if you're Baptist or if you're charismatic, doesn't matter if you're Dutch Reformed or if you're Presbyterian, doesn't matter if you're Catholic or if you're Methodist, 
God will show up in any of those denominations, in any of those sects of Christianity where the people of God are approaching their Heavenly Father with a true, genuine hunger for Him. It doesn't matter where you are theologically with some of that. I mean, your theology does matter. But some of us believe in speaking in tongues and other of us believe that it's heresy. I think with all of that, God's looking at the heart and he's saying, are you just hungry for me? If we could embrace the doctrinal and we could appraise the mystery of what it is that our Heavenly Father is wanting to take us and journey us along. And I want it to be that in my heart and your heart that we could look at this, my soul will be satisfied. Verse, verse 8, my soul clings to you where nothing else will matter but Jesus. Nothing else will matter but the presence of Jesus, of getting Jesus. Like, like that's it. I just want to be in your presence, God. I just want to allow my heart to be broken before you, to be exposed before you, to be moved before you. There is nothing in this world that will satisfy the desires and the cravings that you have. Nothing outside of God. Your relationship with your wife or with your husband will fail you. Not saying you're going to get divorced, but they're not going to be the satisfaction that you need. The relationship that you have with friends and individuals, even in this community here, are going to leave you empty. The relationship you have with your children, as fun and joyful as they can be, it will not satisfy you. It will leave you empty. The relationship that you have with your job or with, with your workplace, and many of us, we have jobs that fuel a passion inside of us, and that's great, and we should keep running after it. But if that is where you're looking for your satisfaction to come from, it will fail you. Nothing will satisfy you the way that your heavenly Father will satisfy you. And might I venture out to say, He will be the only thing that satisfies you. The only thing. I want to propose this question for us as I start to wrap up today. And I want you to think about this. What would it look like if we normalized spiritual passion in our life? What would it look like if we invited our Heavenly Father into every moment of our life? If, like my kids, we invited God the way that they invite me into literally everything. I mean, even down to sometimes them using the bathroom, as nasty that is. Dad, I need help. I'm not saying you need to call on God when you're sitting on the throne. That's not what, but maybe you do. I don't know. It's TMI. That did not land at all. That was just a bad joke. We will delete that from the podcast. You know, like. But what would it look like if we normalized spiritual passion? What would it look like if we normalized calling upon the name of the Lord, calling upon the Holy Spirit to invade our lives? I look at the life of Jesus, right? Jesus was filled with life. Everyone wanted to hang out with him. He laughed, he cut up, he made jokes, he rebuked people, sinners couldn't like get enough of him and the Pharisees couldn't stand him like but Jesus was filled filled with life everywhere that he went and then he said 
I'm going to send my Holy Spirit, and my Holy Spirit will fall, and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and then to the ends of the earth. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. And then we see in Acts chapter 2, right? What were the disciples and the hundred or so, 120 people doing in the upper room? They were praying. They were praying, and they were in one accord, as the scripture says, one accord, and with a hunger and with a desire, God birthed something in them, and here we are, a fulfillment of what God started 2,000 years ago, the church, and the Holy Spirit fell. Now, I, again, grew up in a charismatic church, and so I was told that the Holy Spirit was a gentleman, right? Anyone has been told that? Few of, all right, a few of us that have grown up in a charismatic church, the rest of you, that's totally fine. That's not biblical. I just need to say that that's not biblical. The Holy Spirit that's biblical, when he shows up, the ground shakes. Tongues of fire fall down like the wind starts blowing and people get saved. There's an outpouring that takes place, and we see this in Acts chapter 2. We see this in Acts chapter 8. We see this in Acts chapter 13. In Acts chapter uh, 16, 17, 18, we see this happening all throughout. What would happen if we normalized our spiritual passion and a hunger for Jesus in everything that we did, and we invited the Holy Spirit into our lives to make himself manifest to us, to speak to us, to use us. And then, my last point is God will protect his children. But those who seek to destroy my life shall go down into the depths of the earth. They shall be given over to the power of the sword, and they shall be a portion for the jackals. But the king shall rejoice in God. All who swear by him shall extol. And the mouths of the liars will be stopped. God will protect his children. My question for you today is, are you his child? Are you his child? Have you allowed him to be Lord of your life in every area of your life? My children will always be my children. No matter what, I, what they do, how far gone they may be, how crazy their lives may get, they will always be my children. But I want to raise it to us. Are we truly children to our Heavenly Father? Our Father, holy, revered, honorable is your name. Maybe for some of us, we don't have that relationship with Jesus, and we need to make a commitment to have a relationship with Jesus. And then maybe for others of us, we have that relationship with Jesus, but we're not like the child. We're not longing to be with our Heavenly Father. We're not, we're not at that place where we're broken enough to say, God, I need more of you and just you. Maybe some of us, we, we are at that place, but we just don't know what to do with our next steps. Like, God, my, my heart is hurting, but I, I don't know what this looks like. I, I just, and can I just venture out? If that's you, then maybe you just need to take a step. Maybe you just need to spend a little bit of time alone in silence with your Heavenly Father. But my prayer for all of us, regardless of where you are on your spiritual journey, 
regardless of the high mountaintops or being in the desert valleys that you may be, is that God would deposit in us a hunger for our Father because his name is holy. It's good. And so I want to invite you to stand. We're going to enter into a time of responding to the word of God this morning. And in just a moment, we're going to sing a song. And as we sing this song for everyone that is um, a regular with us, you kind of know the drill. But for others that maybe are checking us out, and um, this is our response time. And if you want prayer, we want to pray with you. We want to allow the Holy Spirit to do whatever it is that he needs to do in your heart during this period. And then also we have two response tables at the very back of the room that have got uh, communion elements back there. If you feel led and your heart is in the right posture and you would like to take communion as an individual or with your family, we want to invite you to be able to do that during this space. But what I'd like to do is I'd like to ask our prayer team to come forward at this moment. And if you just need more of God, if you need to experience his presence, maybe you need to allow him to bring some healing on your perception of where or who he is as your father, I want to invite you forward. I want to invite you forward to come and let us pray with you. And I'm telling you, there is, there is something that God has been doing through prayer in our community lately, and I'm absolutely loving it. And I want to encourage all of us to lean in. And if you don't need prayer and you just want to come worship up here, I want to encourage you to do that. And so if we could get the lights in the back just for um, privacy for everyone. And I'm going to pray. And whenever I pray, if you need prayer for literally anything, I want to encourage you to step forward. I want to encourage you to see what God can do in these moments. So God, Holy Spirit, we welcome you here in this moment, right now. And Father, as there are individuals in here who are in that mountaintop season, God, we just pray that you would protect them. And as there are individuals that are in that desert, that valley season, we just pray that you would allow for there to be a hunger in their heart. Holy Spirit, I ask right now that you would speak to us. You would move in this room. God, that your glory would be made manifest in this place according to your word, according to your, your desire. And God, we invite you. We invite you to this moment because our Father in heaven, holy is your name. Holy is your name. God, let us get a glimpse of your holiness right now. Holy is your name. In Jesus' name. If you need prayer, I want to invite you to come forward at this time. And let's just press in. Let's allow this 
ordinary moment to be a holy moment. 